Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast, I'm your host, Sizdog. Just got back from a mammoth weekend of touring and music camps, I am literally about to fall asleep. Headed off to Sydney on Friday night to play at the Captain Cook Hotel, but the flight was delayed. There was some uh, uh, terrible weather conditions up in Sydney, so that put us back about an hour and a half, so wound up at the venue just for the start of the first band. Uh, so we did catch them, which was good. I was hoping to interview the bands on the night, but uh, there was just wasn't enough time. We were about to get kicked out at midnight, so we uh, took ourselves off to uh, the uh, Frankie's Pizza, had a slice, and then um, hit the backpackers. It was a good night, though. Woke up uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed the next morning. Um, uh, but it was great to see Reed and Meister and Flicker Tail um, uh, up in Sydney. The next day, uh, we headed out to the Jamboree Festival, which is just past Wollongong. Got to interview Mick Ellerington. Um, so tune in next week for that interview. Uh, great chat with um, with Mick. And uh, not long after uh, that, we played our set. Um, uh, fast forward to Monday morning, and I'm off to music camp two days with uh, the music staff and students in uh, Yarra Junction, which is about 20 minutes from Hillsville. A uh, great couple of days, but uh, just super tired now. You can probably tell in my voice. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes on the or on the recently launched Google Podcast app. This week on the podcast is the second half of the conversation I had with old mate Brett Wood. We talk about his time with Electric Mary. He tells a great story about his time with those guys in Europe. And uh, he stays on the road with many bands that he's played with over the years. Um, there's some a little bit of coarse language, not much really, but I do warn you just in case. Um, so if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to switch to the night garden for now. And then once they're dropped off at the pool, throw AOT back on your dial. Now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor. Episode 14 of Art of Touring is proudly brought to you this week by Echo Bass. Are you looking for a secluded base to hide from the Empire? Not afraid of constant Wampa attacks? Have you got the technology to adapt your speeders to the snow? Then come to Echo Base. We have a shield generator that can withstand at least two blaster attacks. Echo Base, the only place to hide from the Empire's sinister agents. All right, guys, just so you know, Art of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on the desktop, uh, you can Google Art of Turing and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Here's the second part of my conversation with Brett Wood. Yeah. And so how many, like, so you went from Deja Vu... And then eventually you joined um, uh, Pete Murray's band. Yep, that was after I did some musicals. That's right. You I went did. into doing the musicals thing. Yep, because uh, I'd gotten into, um, what did I do? There was, yeah. Oh, did I you had, do Jersey Boys? No, Marcus Kerbin, our mate Marcus Marcus Kerbin, did Jersey Boys. The Hugginator. No, old. you did uh, Ro- Rocky Horror. I did that. It was after I did Shout. My first big musical, like a professional stage show, was Shout the Shout. Musical. And yes. So that was, yeah. But that was after I'd done, oh, it's probably about 25 or so, 26 yeah. when I got that gig. In between then, if we're going to go timeline-wise, uh, I was a country guitar player. 
That's right, Carter and Carter. Yeah, good That would have man. been the time, the first kind of touring that you did. Yeah, and all these things came from me being a kid that just wanted to play. I just yes. wa- I wanted to play and I wanted it to be my job to play the guitar. Yes. I, you know, I dreamed of maybe one day doing what Tommy did, but I was also very, very well aware that he was very different to me and there was a... A, a very, very large, steep learning curve to go to get to wherever he was. You know? Yes. Um, so, and that learning curve, I, I knew through talking to him and ha- asking him these kinds of questions, what was his journey? He said he played in bands and he learned as many songs as he could. And Yeah. So anyway, so uh, through Ron Lee, who was his manager at the time, I was teaching God, Ron. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. He used to run the Guitar Master Challenges and things and I would I would enter. And, and so the other, the other guy that I met through those things, through Ron Lee's Guitar Master Challenges, was Stephen McKay from 12 Foot Ninja. 12 Foot Ninja. So he and I became thick friends, far, thick as thieves and fast friends. And, and I used to go to Inverloch every school holidays and play guitar with him all day. Is that right? I would search anywhere I could, anywhere I could find somebody who seemed to live on the same wavelength that I was living on, whether it was Shannon, Stephen McKay. Yeah. Uh, another guy named Hamish McGregor, who I'm still good mates with. Yeah. Marcel Yamuni. Yeah. Like guys that, uh, that when I, as I was growing up, I went, you. There was another guy, Andrew Rigglesworth who's yep. a fellow left-hander, any any guy that would seem to be so tapped into just guitar, 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 just love the guitar. I was yeah. like, I'm going to go, you know, hang out with him as much yeah. as I can. <laughs> you know, so yeah. So anyway, so um, I, I got recommended via Ron Lee to uh, Carter and Carter and that was probably around about 21. I would have been about 21. I'd been playing with Tommy here and there. Yes. Certain people had heard my name um I guess by way of that, you know, maybe a small amount of profile was starting to build up. I'd won like a Frankston guitar competition or something for young, sure. young guitarist of the year. And Rigglesworth won that as well. He did, yeah, a year or so after I did. And, and uh, all the guitar players that were in those things, it's kind of like the NBA draft. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Like uh, Samuel, Sam Iavasi, who I think has a different second name now, Sam ended up playing with Guy Sebastian for many years. He was right. Guy's guitar player and... You know, Stephen was with uh, uh, Delta Goodrum for years. You know, all these all these guys that I used to kick around with and, and see once or twice a year at one of these guitar competitions, they were all so into it that they've all ended up going off and being quite successful and doing yes. their own thing. Sometimes doing their own original thing and other times uh, being a side player for somebody else. But they've all gone off and kept doing it. You know, there's uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to look back on. Um, trying to think of one of the other guys that I grew up with. Well, in my early twenties, I, I hooked up with guys like Ben Edgar, who now plays with um, everybody. But like uh, at the moment, he's touring with Angus and Julia Stone, and uh, uh, Goitier was before that, and Pat- oh, Passenger. That's right. yeah. yeah. So he he's been he's taken the Australian session gun for hire to yeah. new heights. Like you know, he's he's playing with some of the heavy. Heavy cat, heavy cats, man. heavy hitters, man. But I mean, ultimately, it's just music, you know. Is yeah. it like if you can if you can hold up your end and and uh, you know help help the band still sound sound the way it should, then then you you'll get work. And if you're good to hang out with, that's another massive thing with touring. Yeah, there's been many times in my life, and it probably still happens on the tour that I'm on now, where probably people go, yeah, no, if I want to hang out with that Brett Wood guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't want, don't know if I want to. If I start quoting Bill Burr, you know, so, sociology. <laughs> but, 
yeah, there's definitely a hang element to, and I'm I'm sure it's the same in sports. You know, you've got your LeBron Jameses and your Kobe Bryants, but there's bench warmers there too. And if you're a bench warmer that's not all that good to hang out with, I'm sure you're going to get traded. Yeah, man. You know, well, I'm I'm a massive wrestling mark, uh, a wrestling fan, and I watch a lot of um, you know behind the scenes stuff and listen to the podcasts and the documentaries and all that. And um, the the big thing that um, I've taken from that is that. Uh, to be in one of those massive promotions like the WWE, you have to be uh, a great human being mm. first. Yeah. And obviously... That's why a, I'm never going to get to do any of that stuff. Right? <laughs> you had the dreams of holding the WWE title for many years. I did. That was a real pipe dream. I never. I just wrote it in my diary. <laughs> but just taking that idea of being an all-round good person first. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's, it's going to be true in any industry, but especially yeah. when you're in close quarters with people on the road a lot of the time, then it's going to be a big... Big it's about the breaker. hang. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're a dick. Definitely about the hang, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. So um, let's lead into that. Uh, the stories from the road. Yes. Um, you've, you've toured with Carter and Carter. You've yeah. toured with Electric Mary. Um, Absolutely. Uh, to Europe. Uh, you've been around Australia. Or just around Australia with Pete? Has no, he ever all done over it? the world. All over the world with yeah. Pete? Yep. Um, a few times. I've been very lucky. Yeah, uh, looking back on all of those tours, I mean, does there, is there any one story that sticks out in your mind that, that you think you could share with us um, at the podcast that we could get a kick out of? Yeah, possibly. Uh, uh, I'm racking my brains right now for the Carter and Carter era yes. tours. I used to make jokes in Carter and Carter because they had this uh, trailer that would go on the back of their Ford station wagon. David and Marilyn and their PA was in it and their lights and all the stands and everything. They they carried their own, you know, their own everything. production, yeah. And so, and as well as their backdrop for the stages. So it was, a, they ran it like a professional, proper professional touring business and they would sell their tickets themselves and they fronted their entire um, original existence, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, for quite a while without management. Wow. I'm sure they eventually, uh, you know, they, they won a golden guitar and they had... Um, uh, representation as far as their record distributions and stuff went, I'm pretty sure, but they were very much, very much uh, spearheading their own touring. And so yes. I, remember, I used to make jokes about I had the the lights would be controlled on a foot pedal, like you'd, you'd tap your foot. <laughs> yeah. So I used to sort of, you know, they'd introduce me and I'd say, I also do lights, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'd try and take the credit or I'd, whatever shoes I was wearing, you know, shoes by Julius, the lights by Julius Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real thing. You actually yeah. control the lights by yeah, foot switch. Yeah, so I'd go, oh, this song needs this, you know, and I'd, yeah. You're kidding. Just, no, I used to... <laughs> I thought that was you were joking. No, no, no. That was that's for real. That's a real thing. Yeah. Having a lighting console, like a foot pedal, like a, like, a, like a like a guitar pedal, and, and it you had just like, have a little bit of st- like tape it, underneath, it red, two, green, blue. Yeah, it had no. It had two strobing options. They were just red buttons, and yeah. it had two strobing options and some color switching options. So, right. So um, the, there was one fast. And that was part of your gig. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, one of us had to do it, and I, and I found it gettable with what I was doing. You know, sure. Because I was like the sprinkles, I was like the extra colours, and I would play the the licks and the solos, yes, and any melodies and that stuff that were in the hooks in the songs. But yeah, most of the time they were they were too busy sh- selling the gig, you know, like right, they were, yeah, up the front doing that. So I was off the side tapping light buttons, and I had a ball. I loved it, you know. I remember eventually, probably somewhat tiring of carrying the carrying the gear and doing all that stuff. But you know what? The truth is that that's never really changed, you know. Like no. A, 
we're still carrying gear you know on the on the lucky occasions that I've toured with full crew um <laughs> I remember the first time I toured with Pete Murray it was the first time I'd ever had a guitar tech yes and it's the first time I'd ever seen a group of guys rig the stage for anybody you know like a and not only just our guys, but there would be guys brought in that day that were paid probably a pittance to because they were local. Yeah, you know they're probably given a hundred bucks or fifty bucks to come and carry the big sub speakers and all the all the stuff out of the truck. Yeah, and so I'd never seen anything like that. No, in, you know I'd, I'd heard about it or thought you know that, that something like that must have happened for some shows, but sure, it was the first time I'd seen it. So that that first inclination that I had of, of oh, someone's going to carry my stuff was I was there when they did it Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not used to someone doing it. No. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing here? Go to your room or go and hang out, go to the pool or go and, you know, yeah. wherever you were staying. Why, why aren't you in your hotel room relaxing? I'm like, oh, I just thought I'd come down. I'll give you the hand. And I remember going to grab one of my guitars and the production manager, A.D. Barnard, yelled at me <gasps> because if something happened to me, they didn't have a guitar player on the road to... F- he was like, "Oh, you get your hands off that! What are you, you know?" Yeah. I, got, I got told off, but my natural instinct was, was oh, to help. I'll lend a hand because that's what I'd learnt from Carter and Carter. Well, of course, like that's crazy. And I, I mean, just from an upbringing where you lend a hand, but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and I and I used to go and sit in Guitar World with Iceman Dean uh, Dean Peters. His nickname was Iceman because of Peter's ice cream. Huh. So I used to go and sit with Ice, and he'd <laughs> restring the guitars, and I'd talk to him about guitars and. I must have drove him nuts because I was just like hanging to hang. I was I loved hanging out with the crew, and they they were probably thinking, "Would this guy just leave us alone and let yeah, us right. do our thing?" Yeah, probably so they could bitch about me. I don't know. <laughs> well, but still, you it's you're still getting used to the fact that someone else is touching your gear, a little and bit. is in charge of it. Yeah, very very different. Yeah, a big change. And so those those early years were. were uh, humbling but also like I, I thought that's how you, I just thought that's how everybody toured you know it's yeah in the country scene in a lot of respects that is how people tour you know like they look after themselves and they you know um you know they can't afford to hire crew you know you got to you got to do it within a certain budget and a certain means and uh you know a lot of the times too they're traveling to very far out places like they you know you know you'd go to Mount Isa you know, to a mining town, which, you know, is, a, is an 11 hour journey or whatever by car from such and such a town or, yeah, you know, you're going to very, very remote towns and bringing entertainment and bringing, you know, the spirit of music. But it, so it doesn't allow for people to go, oh, I'm just going to bring five guys to carry everything or two guys to carry everything and tune my guitars. It's like, no, 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 we'll do it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it was good to start that way and then end up eventually seeing what it's like on the other side going oh wow it's like this but now i I converse to the early years of touring with pete where there's lots and lots of crew and big big lighting production and big you know stage production lots of pa the current tour that we're on right now is much much more relatable back to my youth Mm. whereas we're not necessarily touring with no crew we've still got a front of house guy and a tour manager and um, but there's no guitar techs and there's no riggers and we're using a lot of house systems because yeah. Pete's in a position in his career where he's sort of trying to be more sensible with budgets and 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 I think he's been through a lot of the business side of it where a lot of other people, like a lot of outside people, have a, a big grab at the pie. Ah, uh, right. His experience, sadly, it has, has copped a lot of that on the chin in his career and, and, and I think especially in the last few years. 
So this particular tour where I'm starting to feel the pinch in my lower back a little bit more from yeah. setting up and packing up my own stuff. Yeah. But um, but it's it's understandable in this day and age, you know, traveling is hasn't really gotten any cheaper, you know. Nothing's gotten cheaper, has no. it? Everything's more expensive. Yes. The cost of living is so so much higher. So it means that everybody in your band and crew is wanting more money to tour because it's costing them more to live. And, yep. you know, if artists like Pete and Guy Sebastian and whoever else that's touring around now, they've all got to take that into account. Account, yeah. And maybe strip it back a smidge. Yeah, right. I guess. There you go. <laughs> What's going on? Do it, yeah, yeah. We'd love a cup of tea. Cheers. <laughs> what a um, sweetheart. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, so uh, you, you've toured with the people. So, yeah, tell me a little bit more about the guys um, in, in Mary, Electric Mary, and, oh, and yeah. yeah, the touring um, over in Europe and stuff. Surely there must be a story, a juicy one um, <laughs> from being over there. Juicy. A juicy story. I'm trying to think. Yeah, maybe funny, juicy. There's, well, the guys have probably had to they'd probably have more juicy stories or or uh aggravated stories about me the first tour that i did i was probably like a bear with a sore tooth because i wasn't quite sure what i was getting into there was a pretty it was pretty hard work yes um but all for the right reasons is to go and take some rock and roll to the world you know like real live rock and roll to the world but i found some of the venues were smaller i found like the we were carrying our own quaddies and we were doing, you know, I found it to be quite like, I was like, wow, I'm not used to this. this yeah, is, coming off the back of Pete's tour where everything's looked everything's after. Everything's looked after, the then, amps are smaller, nothing's yeah. that heavy. If somebody had, if somebody asked me to carry an amp for Pete, it's like, you know, it's a yeah. combo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a 100 watt Marshall with a 412 box and, you yeah. know, and then there's not a bass fridge like an 8x12 with an amp egg and, you know, it's not... It's a very, very different backline. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> much, much more backbreaking backline. Well, just thinking about like my own touring in 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 Australia with with the the lads from Smokestack, um, when something goes wrong uh, in your own town, at least uh, you've got that support network because you know you know your own town, or even if it's in Australia, you're yeah, you speaking the known, language. You, you know, like are there any instances over there where, like, you know, a guitar goes missing, or you know, uh, something broke mid set or well, something? That, and uh, did you just try and set something up there, or was that just an accident? I'm trying to get something out of yeah, you. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is another. Okay, so I'm dobbing myself in, but I, why not? So. We're playing somewhere in Spain, uh, Gijon, I think, in Spain, and we were playing, and I was in a weird mood that night. This was with Electric Mary because yes. this this venue was was a downstairs kind of, it almost looked like a casino cabaret lounge, but with no chairs. It was a coolish bar slash venue, and there was this massive light poster, like a LED light screen on yes. the side wall that had a poster of the original lineup which was Irwin you know it was like the early, one of the early pictures early of Electric. pictures they just grabbed it off the line and-, and and one of the things that happened to me a lot when I first joined Electric Mary which I, I've, I've well and truly um, made peace with but at the time I hadn't was that everybody was saying on the socials and things that you'd see all these like he's good but he's no Irwin and you know really would people say that all the time people will still say that and and, and here's the thing I won't disagree with them <laughs> well you're two I, different guitar I, players I, I'll take the I'm good out of that nowadays and go 
that's awesome. I'll take that. Yes. But back then, I saw it as a as a I don't know some kind of mantle that I had to achieve. I had to get better or something. You know. Sure. Which is ridiculous because you have to get better anyway. Forget about comparing yourself to anybody. Exactly. The, the idea is to just try and get better. Yeah. And I and I'm a huge Irwin fan. I'm a huge Pete Robinson fan. Yeah. I was. A, I'm a huge Glenn Proudfoot fan, and he's a completely different style player to both of those two guys. To and and to myself as well. Yeah. Like you know, I don't really listen to um, shred type guitar playing that much. But there was so, always something about Proudfoot that I heard where I was like, that guy is so musical. Like this, he can he could rip your head off and shred you under the table, but he's so, he can slow it down and make it saucy and good and bluesy. Like he yeah. was, he was able was to- Was Proudfoot winning the band for a bit, wasn't he? He was the last guy before me. So Nathan's played in the band. You know, Cavalieri. Yeah, and I can't play like Nathan. Like what, that's the thing with maturity, with a bit of age and a bit of understanding comes, you know, the knowledge that people, yeah. people, other people can compare you to somebody. I, I didn't know this then. So going back to the story, is <laughs> I was feeling a bit self conscious and a bit um, nervous to do the gig because I'm going, oh god, now there's going to be more people going, oh that's Irwin on the wall, and that's not Irwin there, and ah. and so I got to the moment in Crashdown on your head where Irwin used to take these big. He used to take these like ten minute like epic guitar. They're not even solos. He would give a guitar clinic. <laughs> he would go. He would go on a rampage and go check out what you can do in one solo yes. for ten minutes. And it was always you know monumental. Yeah. And I was I was trying to do the best I could to hold up that and do an do a, my version of what that was. Sure. Which was a which yeah it was a tall order, and I was constantly breaking strings at the peak of the solo oh. and it happened three or four nights in a row I'd break my high E string right when I was trying to you know send it off the top of the mountain yeah and this night I'd broken an E string again and I'm like oh crap my spare strings are out the back in the green room we don't have a tech I'm sick of these gigs where we don't have a tech like normally <laughs> you know in Pete's <laughs> band I'd have a guy come out and Just, bring a guitar here's another guitar yeah and so so I put the SG down in a bit of a huff and I ran out the back to get the strings and I came back out and the boys were all looking at me kind of funny going like, yeah, look what you did. And I look over yeah. at the guitar and the strings were all off the side of the nut and I looked at the headstock and there were splinters and I'm oh, like, oh, man. I've, I've broken the headstock on the guitar. Just by placing it down. Yeah, and they, they'll tell you to this day they reckon I, I threw the guitar down, but I honestly just put it down in a hurry. <laughs> and yes. because I'm such a strat guy, and that's what, if I was in a court of law, my lawyer would say, he's a strat guy. He's played strats and tellies his whole life. You could throw him off the back of a truck and they'll still be in tune. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so I put it down kind of in a hurry. And because Thinking it's the, angle, the angled headstock of an SG, it just went snap. Yeah. And so and I had no spare guitar. Going back to what you're saying, like if you're living, if you're doing gigs in your hometown, exactly, you got a number you can call. Oh, you you probably brought two or three guitars to the gig because you you know why wouldn't you? We, I took one guitar on this tour. On this tour, I snapped it, and so I'm in this I'm in this position now where I'm going, oh crap! And so I made a big song and dance. I put a towel over the guitar and I gave it a little kiss. Yeah, and then I went straight to the bar and got him to start pouring me shots because I couldn't do anything. I couldn't play. That was it. There was no, that was the end of the gig for me and they still yeah. had five or six songs to go. Shit. So I sat at the bar and felt very embarrassed because yeah. not only had I let our team down and let the crowd down a smidge, yeah. but I had 
the full frontal experience of sitting there listening to a great band going, wow, they don't even really need me that much. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> These guys sound pretty damn good. He's, and they don't, he's killing it up he's, mate, He is such the essence of what Electric Mary is. Yeah, and yeah. He is, a, he is a virtuosic guitar player. Yes. And I think... Um, Cheers. Well, thank you so much. R2-D2, I got the R2 cup. You yeah, got I got the Darth Vader cup, mate, yeah. There you oh, go. Thank you. <laughs> Not at all. No, no, it was a good story. No, Pete, and so Pete's a big Chet Atkins fan, as am I through Tommy. But okay. but he's even he's even more versed in Chet's style of guitar playing and his music than I I am even to this day. Pete Robinson. Pete, yeah, Petey Robinson is a he's a brilliant finger style player and he's one of those guys that. He, he, if he hears, he's, you know, it's kind of like uh, Tommy's brother, Tommy's brother, Phil Emmanuel, we used to call the whiz. Yes. And and Pete often reminds me of that because if if Phil heard something, he could like, you know, five, ten minutes later, he'd kind of have it. Yeah. Robo's like that. Pete's like, I call him the governor because he's got British <laughs> British heritage. So he's the governor. Yeah. And uh, when he used to tie his hair up, we used to call him Shintaro. Looked like a ninja, so Shintaro was a nickname. Shintaro, yeah. on the road. But yeah, so he he's many a time uh, scared the scared the bejesus out of me on stage. Yes, and uh, and and a couple of times I've had you know had a go at trying to scare him back, but most of the time I'm scared. Yeah, right. Yeah, same deal. And any time I've gotten a chance to play with Proudfoot or or um, or Jack or yeah. Irwin, I, he's Jonesy to me forever. But but Irwin is his is his name, so. Yes, we shall refer to him as Owen. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's both a scary and inspiring experience playing the other guitar next to anyone who's played guitar in that band. Hundred percent. Tim Henwood's filled in and ripped my face off. Has you know. Tim of Palace of the King? Yep, yep. He's come in, come in, you know, and learnt, you know, eighteen songs. Showed up at a rehearsal and like smashed me in the face and go, "Wow, that's incredible." Is that right? Yeah. There's, wow. Yeah. And it's it's um, Dale Winters has done it. Dale, a good friend of mine, Dale stepped in and played a gig with us, uh, filling in for Pete. Because Pete's like myself; he's a hired player as well. He yes. plays with uh, Russell Morris. Russell Morris, yeah. And he's done so that for quite a few years now. Um, and that's another gig that Shannon's involved with. I think Shannon Shannon Bourne originally uh, recorded on some of the, one of those blues records. I think he played the guitars on those records. Is that right? And has I think he's done some gigs with him live as well with with um, Russell Morris. Yeah, but Pete's yeah Pete's sort of had to go off and do other commitments. So we've had different guitar players, players fill in at different times, and it's been incredible. You know, yeah. It, and it is that it really is that weird comparative thing, like where you kind of because it's such a guitar band and it's such solo who they're solo there. Like a lot of yeah. the songs have double solos. Yes, which I've been trying to phase out because <laughs> <laughs> my personality type is to uh, if someone's if someone's having a rip, I'm happy to play rhythm for them. Like yeah, I'm, and maybe that's what I've gotten from growing up with Shan because that was my introduction to bands. Sure. Was be the rhythm player and check that guy go, you know. Yeah, man, I definitely can um, uh, appreciate that. Yeah, and I can't, I can't, there's so many things that Pete does that I cannot do. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll he'll defend me and say, no, 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 there's things that you do, Brett, that I can't do and it's great. And yeah. It's, that's the good, that's the thing that separates us and makes it interesting that there's two guitars in the band. Exactly. Because many people would argue that two is too many. <laughs> Two is one too many. No, never, never, never at all. Yeah. Well, it wasn't for Led Zeppelin. One was fine for Led Zeppelin. 
but but you look at the Eagles. They had a lot of great guitar players in the Eagles. So. Exactly. Yeah. But um, you know, so it's a um, it's a, it's a an it's a confronting band to join. I remember going from Pete Murray's. Uh, oh, dude! When you told me you were joining Electric Mary, I I freaked out. I was like, <laughs> I, this is amazing news for um for the world you know <laughs> for the whole wide <laughs> the whole world, world. like oh mate well, we is... grew up playing pearl jam together you and me like and there was like a, yeah you know some we probably played some umi i think from memory and like yeah you know there was there was a, a grunginess to our musical heritage and a, and a rockness well i mean as being 38 growing up in the 90s those formative years listening to those bands it's just you know you are obviously a product of your environment. Yeah. You know if that's what's what's hip at the time, then you, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. But obviously, you know we were kind of lucky that you know our folks also listened to stuff from the '60s and '70s, and we have appreciation of that. Absolutely. Um, the, that music as well. But um, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's well, yeah. I I was glad to join something that. Um, I could sink my teeth into in a, in a very very different way because I yeah. always I always enjoy I used to go to watch Electric Mary play as as would I on That's a Wednesday right. night at yeah. the um at the, at the Evelyn Hotel yeah you know they would destroy it there as yeah. would Jack or with, the Northcote Social or wherever they were playing yeah I would, I would SB go and, they were just staples at the SB yeah. and the two guitars like the standing near the sound desk where I think Reggie used to mix them back then it was before Ricky Ray. Yeah. Or maybe they used to swap and change, you know, maybe it was a bit of both, but I just remember, I remember standing at the sound desk at Northcote Social Club going, that is a wall of guitars and there's only two dudes, what the hell is going on? Yes. I've never heard anything like it. And I remember going up and standing at the front next to Pete's amp, like right near where Pete's amp was coming off the stage and going, God, that's loud. And then walked over to Jackson and I'm like, God, that's even louder. What the <laughs> hell is going on? How can yeah. you get louder than that other guy? What? You know, it's just it, it. It was mind-boggling to me that there there was so much power coming off one little stage. Yes, and I had that same experience the first time I played with them. They asked me to come down to a rehearsal space at Deluxe there, and they said, you know, just come and give it a try. You know, like uh, the deal was when when they were looking for another guitar player when Glenn moved to Prague to play in Prasky Viber. Um, massive band over there in Europe. Yes. Uh the deal was why don't you come and do a couple of shows? Learn the learn the set that we're going to do. Come and do a couple of shows and see if you like it. See if you want to do it. Sure. And I was like, okay, cool. So the job was on almost like a session player guy. I was like, okay, I've got to learn 18 songs or something. Yeah. And uh and then I showed up to the first rehearsal and they had I didn't have a loud amp back then or a loud enough amp, so they hired a JCM 800 like a hundred watt Marshall thing and stop it. And I plugged into it and kind of tweaked up a little sound. And then there's that thing in let me out where there's the Jack does the where the neck pickup volume has to be turned off and the bridge one's still on and you Les Paul. Yeah. And so you do the toggle switch trick, right? So one of my favorites. So we were going to play let me out first. And so I, I went to come in on the riff and I was on the neck pickup, which had been turned off <laughs> And, Ru- and Rusty, Ru- that's Rusty's favorite, that's his favorite story about me. It was the first time I went to play a note. I wasn't even on. <laughs> and he loved it because it he had all these guys, you know, 
he had all these guys praising me like uh, uh, Oliver Jones and Jason Singh and all of his mates were going, no, no, he's great, mate. He doesn't make mistakes. He's a great, great player. Yeah, yeah. No, he'll, he'll he never makes a mistake, which is total rubbish. I make mistakes all the time. Yeah. I'm one of these musicians that uh, quite often I'll, I'll, I'll go off reservation in a solo and I'm not even exactly sure which mode I'm in or which position of a scale I'm in and I'll, sure. I'll be just flying by ear. And it can quite often end up with a couple of clunkers and and wrong ones, but I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy to put my toes off the edge of the cliff. You oh, know. that's where the magic happens. Well, you hope, you know, <laughs> or at least if you, if you're gonna like, at least if your toes are off the edge of the cliff and you make a mistake, at least you get a nice view on the way down. That's true. You know, yeah, man. <laughs> you never die wondering. No, well, I mean, I. I but yeah, Rusty thinks that was awesome because everyone yeah. had said, "Oh, he doesn't make mistakes," and the first thing I did was a mistake. <laughs> you know, so Rusty loves that. Yeah, that is that is a, a, is a pretty good story. But I, re- I remember the power of Alex's bass rig, and and Pete was like cranked. Like the you hear a rhythm section like that. Yes, and Pete's groove is ridiculous. Like Pete's pocket and and sensibility for the electric Mary riffage, like his where he puts the riffs he helped me a lot in the early days because he would go how, how are you playing that riff and go nah don't go short on those notes make sure they're longer and ah. he was he was right across how the riffs were meant to feel and, and but I just remember this like felt like there was a train running me over with Venom and Alex and, yeah. and Pete well because I remember there was a day over at your folks place um, uh, when that Let Me Out EP the definition of insanity came out back oh, in two thousand five, yep. and you were sitting there, kind of just kind of noodling on the on that riff, and you showed it to me, yeah, and I was like, oh, that's it's like getting the keys to the car, you know, <laughs> like I was like, this is something I shouldn't be allowed to know, absolutely, like, you know, because coming it's from ridiculous. A, a it's ridiculous, it's a great riff, isn't it? Of, eh, I'm taking a photo for Gala. Nice one. Um, uh, coming from a place where, uh, as a singer, more than a guitar player, yeah. uh, whenever I do get shown like a little riff here or riff there of something that I haven't been able to figure out by ear, I never bothered figuring out by ear or whatever the reason. Sure. It always has like that, you know, that magic, magic. fairy dust on it. You know, oh, yeah. it's like that's how it's played. Like that's just on the fifth fret, man. Like it's, but um, and sometimes it can add to the magic of it. Sometimes it'll lose a little bit of its magic. Right, right. You know? But that time when I learned that riff, I think it added to it. It was like that even is so cool. Oh, wicked. You know, when I learned that little bit. Uh, talking about um, Mary while we're on, on that track, because we are winding down here. We've been talking now for 93 minutes, which is Doing well. actually a record for Art of Touring. Yeah. Well, that'll, um, that'll give you a chance to edit out anything I've said that's untoward. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm not doing any editing at all. <laughs> leave leave all the clunkers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, before you came around, I did check out the, the clip for, for Woman, which is uh-huh. arguably probably the, the, the first kind of film clip kind of that Mary have ever really done. Sure. There's heaps of live stuff on online. Yeah. And there was the kind of a film clip for one of the releases. Some, Say along. Sailon, yeah, yeah where was... it's like in Japan or something, the streets oh, of Japan. No, that was yeah, that was. Uh, oh, what was that song? I forget the name of that song, but yeah, that was a, a bit of a tour mashup. Wasn't yeah, it? it was like a montage and stuff, which was really cool. No, I was thinking back earlier before I joined when it was Pete and Erwin, and there was a there was a clip for Sailon. Is there? Oh, is that right? I haven't seen is, it. Yeah, which is a. Um, is that the four hands high? 
EP? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be. And 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 another one off that EP, which was Busted, I think. Yes. There was a clip and Irwin had a shaved head and Pete had short hair and was wearing kind of like a cool sports coat. and Yeah. Very different look. Of very the different look. But it was, then. yeah. So, yeah, there was a couple of clips here and there, but this one, this... this Definitely uh, the first in a long time. And so you, you've, you've kind of like got that bookend where it's got the drone footage and stuff and, and the kind of uh, orchestral, epic start. Yeah. yeah, epic start and epic ending. But in between it, obviously, it's just like an absolute corker of a, a, a rock and roll song <laughs> um, with you guys. Um, you know, when I was watching it um, this evening, I, I I kind of felt like it was like a an Aussie version of, um, you know, Live at Pompeii. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, right. like they have the wall of of, um, right. of of marshals and everything in that, and it's. I think that was Alex's. I think that was Alex's vibe. He Is was, that right? I he think... probably saw that and like, oh, I reckon we could recreate that, but he's doing it in a the different Floyd way. Thing, yeah? It's a Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. He was definitely. I think he he had. I rem- recall he referenced that clip. Because he's a he's a Floyd, Floyd nut as as most of us are. Well, and he's wearing a Pink Floyd shirt in in the clips. So the shout out. That's, that's the Easter egg. Where it's, oh, there you go. I figured it out. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but um, yeah, because it is literally in the middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. you guys, um, you know, not to destroy any of the magic for people that are, are that are listening. Sure. Um, for the actual uh, um, way a film clip is is made, but basically when you are um, when you're making a film clip. Uh, you have to play al- along with the track, sure, uh, through a PA, um, so that it, it looks like you know a live performance. Yep. Um, because the audio obviously is the audio from the uh, the album or the EP or the single or whatever. It's not the audio that you're capturing on the day. That would be silly. You know, you're not going to get good audio usually at a film clip setting. Right. Um. So yeah, my question was like where the actual power was coming from, so that you had the PA to play along to for the for the track. Yeah, we had a um, pretty. I we had a Jenny there. Yeah. Um. I can't remember the size of it, but it was a it was a portable enough generator that could be put. I think it was on a golf buggy that uh, our our good mate um, Adam Serace, who uh, has played in many bands, he's I've, I've known Adam through Jason Singh, and he's played um, bass or guitar and loops, and he's he's a very very talented singer and musician himself. Yeah, he was helping us out that day at our friend's farm, Pete Pete Donegan, who is a, a long time friend of of the band of all the guys in Electric Mary and. Um, He's a, he's a good mate, and he's he's always tried to help us out here and there where, where he can, um, as good pals do. It was, yeah. his, it was his property, right? And so uh, he kindly let us sort of drive our cars on there, uh, full of amps and stuff. And then yeah, there was a Jenny supplied. So and and we had, I think it was maybe Adam's speakers, but we just basically had like you know powered speakers, like he yes. was, you know RCFs or whatever. Yeah, and cranked the guts out of just them. cranked them. Yeah, it was loud, man. Yeah, we were, so because the other thing too is when you when you've driven, I think Pete's farm is a, it's about an hour ish, about an hour past Bendigo or something. Okay, that's it's a fair then. way out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I could be wrong about the the geography of that, but but um, it was a it was a ways out. Yes, it was a ways out, and so. By the time you get driven out there, you've already loaded. Like I, I loaded a fair whack of amps in my car, which is one of my. That's one of my least favorite things on earth now. Now yes. that I'm 38, the gig, the playing, the singing, the the hanging out with good mates and playing music. I, I love all that. I hate 
the pack. Yeah. I can't stand it. I cannot. I'll never, ever be able to enjoy the pack. I don't like what it does for my back. Sure. Especially the bigger the amps, the worse it is. So I was already kind of on edge and going, oh, come on, can we get this over with? And so it was lucky. Yeah. It was very, very fortunate to have someone as good-natured. This is going back to the hang again. Yeah. Somebody like Adam Serace, who's just easygoing, happy-go-lucky, just a good human being, good person. Yeah. Um, Talking about the pack. Yes. <laughs> we, we played... A run of shows with Thirsty Merc at the end of the year, um, which uh, was a, a real eye opener for us, especially for me because I haven't really played, um, you know, that many shows with, uh, uh, you know, with legitimate touring acts like like those guys are. Right. And um, at the end of the gig that we did with them at the Gasometer Hotel, um, there's Ray Thistlesweet um, packing the car because um, he, he'd driven down. He he lives in Sydney, and he'd driven down. And there he's, he's got his phone out with the notes app with a list of all of the gear yep. and the order in which it needs to be repacked into the car. Yeah, right. And, he, and there he, we're at like, you know, two in the morning and he's, and he's saying to the guys, okay, give me the snares, the snares neck, oh, snare, right, right, awesome. Now give me the, um, uh, the JCM 800 uh, head or whatever it was, sure, you know. Sure, sure, yeah. And he, he was packing it in. Leading I've never seen pack. someone pack a car more furiously and more economically than I've seen. Fa- like fast as well? Fast as well. You know, he, he, he knew that's, exactly yeah. what had to be put in yeah. what spot. Yeah, that's a get me out of here. The job's done. Get me the hell out. Yeah, and, and so I was like, now that I've seen that, now I'm like, I, I've actually started doing that myself. Right. Not that I play guitar that often at shows anymore, but when I do, um, I certainly, uh, yeah, have, have adopted that idea because it just makes sense. Yeah. When you've got a lot of gear to get in and out of a vehicle, yeah, it sounds sounds to me like they had a lot. Like when it's when you're talking about a full band pack, and were they was there. PA in that as well? No, no, just, no, just, just, just guitars and drums and all that. Yeah, yeah. Big, uh, Kia Carnival kind of van or? Uh, it wasn't even a van. It was one of those um, four-wheel drives with like a cab on the back of it. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but like, so it's got the two front seats. Sure, sure. And then two seats at the back, but they're like even smaller. So like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, the, it's a little mini door you have to kind of squeeze in. Yeah, and yeah. then the, the big back part of it i don't know what kind yeah. of car it was but yeah um yeah that's that that was great to watch him do that <laughs> putting all that gear in that back well, of it that sounds car. Like, it sounds like it he might have had to because it might not have yeah i mean sometimes if you don't have a, a proper dedicated van yeah like with a massive vacuum space in it no it was certainly economical but he mm. got everything in there yeah wow the the tetris game as we like it to is a call tetris it. game yeah and usually if you do a good one you take a photo of it and send <laughs> yeah. it to your mates go check this one out Look it's this. so true yeah you take it before like if you yeah. if you know you're going i don't know if this is going to fit you fit. take the before <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then if you nail it you get them to take a photo of you with the thumbs yeah, up go, yeah. hey, check it out i got it in. got it all in there one of my favorite <laughs> photos um and if you do my, that what, what yeah, you do yeah. is you sign yourself up for the rest of the friggin tour <laughs> they go, oh, Brett's good at packing it. Yeah, then you're screwed, aren't you? Yeah. One of my favourite photos on my Instagram feed um, is the is the the pack that I took prior to my album launch uh-huh. for the pass outs because I had the JCM 800 in there and I think I brought three guitars um, to that show and uh, I had um, uh, obviously the banner and the rug and. You know, a bunch of toys like, yeah, like Star Wars bits to go and, on amps and things. It's Star Wars bits yeah. to go on amps that I've got a transit pack case for that you know I bring to shows. No kidding! Oh, that's right. I forgot about the transit pack Star Wars case. Yeah, <laughs> so 
silly. In my head, I'm like, oh man, whenever I awesome. do a show, I'm going to take this thing. Now I'm like, there's no way I would put that. It's just another that thing to pack up. Exactly. Yeah. If I had, going back to how the, the conversation started, if I had my own people looking after my stuff, then right. yeah, I would totally put that in the rig. Yeah. But if I and they would hate it, you for it. They would hate it. Like, this has to go on your amp every night, Yes, Dave. it does. And Piss incense. Yeah. yeah, and incense and the, and the blue jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the a football helmet filled with cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, BW. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thanks so much for uh, for all the stories um, oh, from the road. Were, I hope there was one that was worth hearing. That's... No, there was, it was great, man. Uh, that's the beauty of, of the podcast is that you're creating your own um, landscape. And, yeah. and obviously, I had a few things written down. I didn't even get to most of the questions because a lot of the stuff that we spoke about, I, I had stuff that I wanted to add, a, add another question about, you know. And, and oh, okay. That kind of thing. So oh, that can do was another great. One. I didn't fart once, too. I'm going to hit. No, well, I'm proud of you for hop that. In, hop in the car, and it's going to be a compression session. Well, <laughs> having just said, not said that, but having said, <laughs> looking now back at my questions, uh-huh. I wouldn't mind finishing on just two more. Sure. Can you look back on all the touring, and, and can you think about the best gig that you've ever played? Oh yeah, yep. I can. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, I think, was. Um, Brixton Academy in London. Oh man, Tenacious D played there, man. In Brixton, yeah. Yes, you've got to play that stage. So jelly. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah. I remember we got off the, we'd we'd played. I mean, the show before that was pretty bloody good too. That was the Olympia in um, uh, Dublin. Yes. Which is another, which is another like rite of passage. Yeah, it's like a U two and Radiohead. Like, so we played there, and I had a good. I actually had a really good gig. That was my first full show with Pete Murray and yeah. I and I remember thinking wow that was good fun and then we hopped on the bus and um, I think we went under the English Channel wow from Ireland like uh, we hop I think the bus got driven onto a train and then it goes under the water wow yeah that's wild through the night and then so I woke up and I looked out my bunk window and there was this like crazy big wide opening at the back of a venue and it was Brixton and I, I didn't know we were playing there. I walked past and was like, I was with the bass player, Jonathan Zion, and we were going to go up to Brixton Road to get some breakfast. And I was like, wow, yeah. who's going to be playing there tonight? That's full on. No one's going to be at our gig. Because if there's, <laughs> like, I could see them rigging the lights. I'm going, oh, man, someone's playing in there and we're playing here? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Where's our gig? Like, yeah. no, one, no one's going to be at our gig. And so we were walking back from breakfast and I saw the front and it said Pete Murray. And I'm like, oh man, we're playing there. So oh I, man. Yeah, so that you was hadn't a, even looked at the touring schedule no, yet. No, no. I was more concerned with the songs and harmonies and I was really, really deep embedded in trying to make sure I did the gig, you know. Yeah, the best you could. Yeah. So Last my, thing on your mind was the like on, what the gig was. Yeah, the, the only thing I cared about with the tour planner was what time I had to be at the airport and with what gear. Like, yes. I was like concerned about nailing that part and then I knew once I was on the plane, I was like, riding a wave and just followed everybody else wherever they went yeah yeah so and I'm still renowned for that I never know where I'm going to be once I'm with whoever else I'm with I know as long as I go where they go I'll be at the gig you know yeah yeah I'm hopeless like that so anyway I thought we weren't going to be playing that venue and I, and then when I found out we were I got full of beans I was like whoa yes and I had a moment during that gig where there's a song called Fall Your Way and there's a solo in it that normally was a flute solo, this really cool Jethro Tully kind of flute, funky flute solo. Sure. 
and I was playing a guitar solo in it instead and I had a ball in this solo and at the end of it to hear four or five thousand people I think it was five thousand just wow. going, like you hear them slowly erupt uh, that was that was a little moment for me where I was like whoa that's that's a cool feeling to have done something that that many people at one time were tuned into like there was yeah. this like exchange of, of um, energy where I was like I was just trying to dig in and play the best I could possibly play, not to get a reaction from people, but just to feel something. Like I was, try- I thought if I feel good, yeah. maybe other people might feel good too. And sure, that was one of the, the the first big moments in my life where I felt like I was really going for something, and it came back at me, and I'm going, "Whoa!" Yeah. So that was a cool gig. That was one of the best ones with wow, Pete. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and, and so now we've talked about the the highs of the highs. Uh huh. The, what about the lows of the lows? Have you had any sh- absolute shockers other than when you accidentally broke your, your SG? Sure, that was a bad night. That was definitely one of my lows. But I've had some massive experiences similar to the one I just said with, with Electric Mary. Um, uh, in Paris in particular, there was one night where I just had a ball and I was just, you know, there was a good oh, room. Oh, good one. Good room full of people and it was yeah. like this weird funky venue in Paris that w- looked like a an old circus inside like the upper mezzanine had like these felt pillow covers around the edge of the balcony it's a i wish i could remember the name of the place but that was a really good gig yeah and i think i'd asked rusty to call me mr wood (laughs) 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 mr wood which is ridiculous i sound like an english teacher but i was like i just didn't want to be called bretty wood for some reason because that's what he usually calls you bretty bretty wood yeah and 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 i love that now like i've i I, i'm used to hearing him say it so much but at that point in time i was new to the band yeah and uh which, which is at least, you know, I remember hearing him say that thinking, he's like, Mr. Wood. And I remember thinking, yeah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> so I'll tell, him, I'll, tell him that. I'll tell him he doesn't have to keep doing that. <laughs> Fantastic. And is it hard to find a balance with your touring life and um, your your work and home life? Because you have, you have a partner of which you've been with for what, five and a half years. Five and a half years, yep. yeah. Is it hard on on her when whenever you have to leave and yeah, and, and it's hard on me too. Yeah, you know? like I'm I'm as uh, I I want to be there as much as I can for my own for my own benefit, and my yeah. own uh, sanity as well. Yeah, because she's uh, you know you could be lucky in this life if you find a partner like you and I have where you uh, it's like a counterpoint in your own view of the world or like sure. you know like sometimes I can be quite cynical. She's quite positive, you know, like she's she's definitely like that old uh cliche the someone who completes you it's it's yeah so it does get very hard when you go away yeah um she's a champ though she she definitely takes it uh, in her stride i mean and carla's got a very very uh important job she's in the medical industry and she her job entails a lot of patient care and a lot of um one-on-one uh help and, and, and attention with patients. So yes. um, so that that's something that she sinks her teeth into every day and that mm. asks a lot of her. So I think maybe the biggest test that we have is she's so tired mostly after every day that that quality time that we would get, you know, 
even when I am home, is yeah. is, is sparse. And then right. if, if I go away, the thing I notice is that she's much, much more concerned with, well, I, I want to stay up later because I know you'll be going away tomorrow for four nights. Yeah, and then that's going to impact on her day yeah. gig and that. And that's it's a I can understand it because I, I feel it too. She thinks that because I'm away and I'm busy, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. She's she sees it like, but you're busy and you're with other people, and it's like, no, I still like I before I take off, I'm texting her, and I, when I land, even before we've taxied in, I've texted her, let her know we've landed. So she's sure. she's on my mind all the time. That's when that's yeah, that's that's how you have to be in a committed relationship. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so we we have spoken about um your uh, uh playing wise. Mm. Um, and how you've you've played with many bands over the years, um, but you have penned your own original music as well. Yes. And when you did do that, how did you come? Like how how? Because we were talking about this before when we were just sharing a meal together about the you know the magic fairy dust that uh, old mate um, Tom Petty would never really tell people how he wrote his songs because it would didn't want it to fly off into he the didn't distance. Didn't want to or... lose his mojo. Sure. Which I, I'm not really a believer in because I'll tell anyone who listens, you know, like my what my process is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wondering if you have a process when you are writing your own tunes and how much you actually do get to write with the two bands that you play in, Mary ah, and, and right. Pete Murray. Yeah, there's a bit. I, I've submitted some riffs here and there to Rusty and there was there, there's one that the boys all ticked off when we were doing pre-production at Dave's place there. like the, And so I was wrapped about that. That was my first... Uh, foyer into trying to throw a song into the Electric Mary uh, mix. Yeah. Yeah. And so that one will probably end up on the next record, I think, because we didn't see that one through in production. But but, but it got the tick of approval and Rusty's been... Rusty wrote something for it. It was good, so... Nice. So, yeah, so that's new. I I don't normally submit stuff for a Mary. That's very much been Pete, um, Alex and Rusty, which... And they've been there much longer than me. Sure. So they've they've been the spearheads for the writing in that band. But with Pete, yeah, I wrote a couple of songs when we were touring Europe one year. He he wanted a song that was Hendrixian or sort of some so, sort of a little bit like a Jimi Hendrix type of a flavor. Yeah, was that on that Blue record? Blue Sky Blue. Yeah, it was yeah. a song called Tattoo Stained. Yes. And I had a song already written uh, with a fellow named Anthony Snape. And he he and I had worked on the words and stuff together. We called it perfect conclusion. But I didn't I didn't really like the lyrics all that much. I wasn't I wasn't super wrapped in the lyrics anyway, let's sure. just say that. It was sort of a soulish, soul-y kind of, you know, little flavour. And I just didn't think that the lyrics were quite as good as they could have been. So I just said, Well, you can try this and I so I showed him the, the chords and I said, See what you come up with. See if you come up with something better than what Anthony and I did, then I'll talk to Anthony and see, you know, if he wants to, if he's okay to, you know, jettison the lyrics we wrote. Yeah. Um, and truth be told, we could probably still have the two songs existing. They they sound different enough, but yeah. So anyway, Pete changed a couple of chords in it and and turned it into his own thing, and that was Tattoo Stain. So that was sort of a fifty-fifty-ish. Yeah, run. nice. I think percentage-wise, it ended up being forty-five, fifty-five or something. And then there was another song where I remember we were recording on the demos for that for that album Blue Sky Blue and he was playing a song called Hold It All For Love and it was very three chords round and round round and round and we'd been we'd done about four versions of it and I as a lot of people do when they're trying to contribute to a song I went to the toilet (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was getting to that point where I was in the studio and just going, what is bothering me about this song? You know, like I was, and before I got a chance to accidentally say something that was going to express my frustration, I needed to go to the loo. Sure. So I went to the loo and I'm standing there having a leak and I went, it's the same bloody three chords. Like the light bulb went off and I went, oh, it's, it needs another section. Ah. You know, like palm to forehead. Like, yeah, uh, of course. It needs another bloody section. So I thought, okay, well, it's E, A, and B, you know, or something like that. Like it was just, and I thought, well, it's kind of in the key. Of, what if it went to C sharp minor? Like if it went to the six minor chord? Or like I was like, what if it did that? And yeah. So I, I, so I literally went back into the control room after going to the toilet. So I flush, walk back into the room and go, E, can I just try something? And and they go, oh, okay. Because everyone was sort of a bit perplexed with that song. Yeah. And I just went, I reckon it needs another section. And so I wrote this little chord progression. Yeah. And Pete instantly got inspired by it and went, oh, I'll play that again. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Well, it goes like this. And he goes, can we record that now? Like just that one section. So we the band, the rhythm section went into the studio. And I played that section. We dropped in and we played that section and then jumped into where we were meant to to finish the song. And Pete yes. literally heard it back and went, great, cue me up a track. I'm going to go in and sing. Right. And he went in and sang the, the bridge of that song like almost verbatim, word for word, like on the spot. Yes. Because his mind heard a melody and a lyric just came out. He sorted it out, yeah. And so I think he threw me, I think I got 10% of that song. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably exactly what I deserved, really, because I just chipped in a a middle eight. Yeah, but still, that wouldn't be the same song without that input. Possibly not. I think the bulk of the song lives the way it it did, though. So I'm cool. I'm, I'm cool with... You know. No, of course you're going to take, you know, yeah, what you get and get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's that. That's you know, and so the process, yeah, is going to the toilet. Really, sometimes you just need to take a leak. Yeah, have yeah. good, have a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, Brett. Well, no, we'll definitely wind it down now. But yeah, man, no thanks worries, so bro. much for coming in. And no, um, thanks for having me. It's and been a gas. Yeah, talking on the art of touring. Um, we certainly did talk about touring. We spoke about obviously, um, you know, your upbringing and stuff. We we could keep talking all night because we're, we're good mates, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, oh man, what a great catch up. Yeah, we could talk about home movies that we were trying to make, like making our own movies in your house. Go back. I've still got that Millennium Falcon, man. It's sitting in the room right next to us. I often think about that. Oh, man. You thought we could just go back, but I couldn't because it's not 2018. That's I can't just record again. It wasn't recording on an iPhone. Yeah, you screwed the take up. We can't go back. We it's rolling. Go- Film is rolling, mate. It's a real camera. Yeah, I just was never meant to be an actor. That's what that was. <laughs> For some reason, I think it was like a little video where like you were going to get woken up by the Millennium Falcon <laughs> dropping on your head and you you woke up prematurely and you're like, oh, go back. <laughs> I preempted my, my moment. It was so funny. Gosh, I wish I could find that. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. What I did I? was I acted when I was meant to react. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Way too soon. I acted and it was the wrong thing to do. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, good to see you, mate. I'll yeah, talk to you to soon, you yeah? Too, brother. Yeah, rock and roll. All right, ciao.
And that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Touring. Also, go check out my band, Smokestack Rhino, who are featured in this podcast every week. Our opening and closing theme is a song called Screwdriver Girls, and you can check out the whole song on iTunes. You can follow the band on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Twitter, and even our very own website, www.smokestackrhino.com. To keep up to date with our gigs, though, give us a like on Facebook, where all our touring dates will be uploaded as soon as they come in. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly at artoftouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show. You can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes. If you have enjoyed this episode or previous episodes of the podcast, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone. So the podcast app is a little purple um, app. It's not iTunes. It's a different app on your iPhone. Click on that and then scroll down to uh, Art of Touring and uh, click five stars and write a short review. Best podcast ever. That's all for this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Brett Wood. If you'd like to see him in action, go check out all the dates for Pete Murray and Electric Mary. Now let's get into some plugs. My band, Smokestack Rhino, are playing a Melbourne hometown show on Friday, August the 3rd at the Bendigo Hotel in Collingwood with Whoopi Cat, Winter Moon and Swedish Pop Factory. All events are up on our Facebook page. You can download our debut album from iTunes or go to our Bandcamp page to purchase a physical copy or grab a t-shirt. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with the Sith Dog. Ow, ow, ow! Remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Echo Bass, back to baths included in the first month's ring.